Well, happy Easter, everybody. So good to be here. Isn't it good? Oh, man, I, I want to warn you, if you're new to New City, uh, we get raucous on Easter, okay? Uh, so I just want to warn you ahead of time. This was like, you know, we were pretty reserved a lot of times, but on Easter, uh, not so much. Last night, I was watching the Gonzaga game. I don't know if you were watching that last night, but I was watching it alone on my patio. I felt like a bad parent not bringing my boys out to see the most epic basketball game that's ever been played. But I was watching it, the buzzer beater at the end, and I was screaming and jumping up and down and just going nuts. And I was like, this is amazing. I'm pretty sure my neighbors thought, uh, you know, there's some domestic issues at my house or something. Cause I was just going nuts. And, uh, and it just reminded me that there are times or moments where, where celebration is the right response. And today is one of those times. Celebration is the right response. We should be celebrating and should be excited, right? Is somebody feeling that? Somebody feel okay? All right, we're here today, all right, to celebrate. All right, so here's my thing, all right? We're, we're going to talk about a gap today. This is a very, very focused message today, a gap. There is a gap in everyone's life between their experience and their response to those experiences. And I want to talk to you about what's in that gap. Because uh, there's lots of things that we experience in life. There's love that we experience in life. There's loss that we experience in life. And you might even say that the story of life is the experience of love and the experience of loss. And we have experienced those things this year, love and loss. We experienced those things this week, love and loss. These are the things that we experience in life. It's the wonderful and beautiful experience of love and the terrible and traumatic experience of loss. Our Easter message today is in John chapter 11. If you've got a Bible, you can open up there. If you've got an app, you can open up there. We're going to walk through the entire chapter today of John chapter 11. We're going to start in verse 1, and you're going to see a story of love. Here's what you see. Now, a certain man was ill. His name was Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, listen to how they addressed Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And so this is a story of a couple of sisters who have a brother named Lazarus, whose Lazarus is ill, and they're petitioning to Jesus because he has a loving relationship with this family, in particular with Lazarus. And so they're inviting Jesus to come out of love to rescue a dying brother from from the grips of death. There's nothing quite like the experience of loss. I mean, there's nothing quite like it. In fact, it's one of those things that's really hard to explain. Uh, as a pastor, I get to, 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 to talk to many people who are grieving, and, and people who are grieving sometimes have uh, a little bit of a challenge going, understanding the feeling of loss. It's like you're leaning into someone that you can't quite lean into anymore. You're expecting to call somebody. You can't, you know, there's just, there's, it's, it's like this, there's like this loss. It's like this really weird thing that if you experience it, you can kind of explain it in terms of your own experience, but everybody's experience of it is different, and loss is complicated. It really is complicated. But Easter, my friends, is a celebration of how love has triumphed over loss. That's the story of Easter. No matter how, how tragic the loss, it's a story about how love has triumphed over the loss. In, in verse 5 of chapter 11, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He loved them. And love is going to be the thing that compels Jesus in this narrative. Love is going to be the thing that moves him in the narrative. And Easter helps us experience, listen, to experience something that's dramatic, experience faith in our loss, to experience, to, to experience the faith that helps us to navigate our loss. And I want you to see what happens in verse 4. When Jesus heard that, uh, that Lazarus was ill, he says, this illness does not lead to death. 
It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. He says, I want you to know this illness is not going to ultimately lead in death. I'm going to show up as the resurrection and the life, and I'm going to show up and bring life to this dead body of Lazarus. It's not going to end in death. It's going to end in life. And I want you to know when you have faith, you have faith that believes it doesn't end in death. It ends in life. And every experience of loss is an opportunity to experience Jesus' love. It's always an experience, an opportunity to experience His love, to experience His glory manifest in our lives. But there's something weird that happens in the text, and it really, I kept trying to edit this out of the teaching today, and I kept trying to sort of, because I wanted to make the teaching a little bit shorter uh, for your benefit today, but I just couldn't edit it out because it's just an odd thing. You see it in verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, the news comes, he's got this loving relationship with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, who's ill, and the news comes, and he stays for two more days. He delays. And I just kept wrestling, why does Jesus delay? And this may be for somebody, and this may be why the Lord didn't let me edit this out of my message today. Why does Jesus delay? Perhaps the time isn't right. I mean, that shows up in the text. Uh, then after he, this, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. But the disciples were like, Rabbi, they want to stone you there. Like, like, like if we go back, they're going to want to stone you. And Jesus has been all through the Gospel of John saying, hey, I'm all about my hour, and I'm not going to go to Jerusalem until it's my time. You see that in his very first miracle in John 2, 4, when he says to, to, to his mother, my hour has not yet arrived. It's not yet come. And so it may be that it's not his hour. They're wanting to, to stone him, and so he's waiting for the right opportunity. Perhaps there's a greater good to be seen in his waiting. And perhaps it's because there's a greater good. And so you should read in verses 9 and following, Jesus answered, are, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. He goes, I want you to, I want you to see my light. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. And after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to wake him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus spoke Jesus, now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant just taking a rest. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. He's dead. And here's the reason I let him die. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. So you may believe, but let us go to him. I want you to see my glory, Jesus says. I want you to see that I am the resurrection and the light. Bruce Milne, in his commentary, says God delays, God's delays are not final. He will come in his own time and way. No doubt, <laughs> no doubt that, we, that, that will frequently be later than we would have chosen. From his divine perspective, however, it will be the right time. God is the best of timekeepers. He created time. He is never late for his appointments. And you may be wondering, God, why are you delaying? But I want you to know God is always on time. He's always on time. Second Peter 3, 9 says something about God's ultimate delay. He says, the Bible says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And perhaps God's delay is, is, is for you. For you to, be, to, to feel the need for him. For you to feel the need for, for, for the resurrection and the life to come to be a part of your reality. Maybe it's because you need hope in this particular season, this particular time. You see, for the Christian, death is no more, than, uh, no more final than a night's rest. And what's interesting about the text is what we just read is in verse 11, he says, I want you to know Lazarus is just asleep. I mean, to me, he's just asleep. 
And then he says in verse 15, he says, let's go to him. He's not, I mean, he's already dead, but he's referring to him as if he's, he's there because people are eternal. And he's, re- re- he's referring to Lazarus himself. He's like, let's go to him. He's just sleeping. Which reminds me of what Victor Hugo once wrote. He said, when I go down to the grave, I can say like so many others that I have finished my day's work, but I cannot say that I have finished my life. Another day's work will begin the next morning. The tomb is not a blind alley. It's a thoroughfare. It closes with twilight to open with the dawn. For the Christian, death is just but sleep that Jesus wakes us from in his resurrection power. Death will lose because Jesus is loved, and I want you to see that in the text. Death will lose because Jesus is loved. So why does Jesus delay? The answer is I'm not sure. I mean, there's evidence in the text of maybe a a couple of different reasons why he delays. I'm not sure, but I do know this. His delay does not change the outcome. Death is defeated. He's victorious. And and, and the outcome is what we're to be focusing on even when we're experiencing the delay. And you may be praying right now, and you may be wondering, Jesus, why do you delay? And there may not be a clear answer for you, but I want you to know the outcome is the same. Death has been defeated. Now, when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bruce Miller's commentary says that there's good evidence, rabbinic evidence, for a Jewish belief that for three days after death, the soul of the deceased person hovered around the body seeking to re-enter. And on the fourth day is when it sees the color of the face fade, and then that spirit sort of fl- fades away. And perhaps Jesus is just sort of saying, I, he knows what's going on in this particular community. He knows kind of the colloquial beliefs. He goes, I'm going to make it really clear that I am the resurrection of the light. I, I, life. I, I want to be really clear and let my light shine in this particular way, in this particular glory, by raising this particular man from the dead and Jesus leaves no room for doubting his victory over death there's just no room so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went and met him but Mary remained seated in the house and Martha had Martha said to Jesus Lord if you had been here my brother would not have died I love that she has this relationship with Jesus a relationship that she could look Jesus in the eyes and say Lord if you'd only been here It's important, I think, to hit pause here and say grief is is isolating. In fact, it's so isolating, it's natural to question God's absence in it. Sometimes, like, the experience of loss is so traumatic that when you experience that loss, you feel like you're all alone in that loss. And I want you to hear this, okay? Hear this loud and clear. If you are one of those who are on the fence of belief and you're a skeptic, I want you to know it's okay to question God. Mary does it. Martha does it. They question God. In fact, the same question is delivered by Mary as was given by Martha. When Mary came out in verse 32 to where Jesus, said, uh, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you'd been here. And, and maybe, maybe you've had that experience in your life at some point in recent history where you just said, Jesus, if you'd been there. Jesus, if you'd only been here at this moment, if you'd only been here in this circumstance, if you'd only been here in this tragedy, Jesus says to Martha when she questions him, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Martha says that to Jesus. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day, noting that she's believing along with the Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection. The, The Pharisees did. She's not believing that Jesus is going to raise her brother right then. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. Whoever believes in me, 
Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She says, I'm the resurrection and the life. In other words, death will die because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Death will die. Death will be no more. But to understand the victory of the resurrection, we must see the violation of death. And I want you to, to sit with me on this, okay? One of the things that's most striking about this particular passage and why I chose it for this Easter Sunday is because of the particular emotion that Jesus expresses in the next moment. You see in verse 33, as Mary is coming to Jesus, Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews had come with her also weeping. And the scripture says, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That word deeply moved is, is a word that sometimes is used in, in other passages, in other, in other sort of, of like an animal snorting in anger. The word deeply moved indicates an outburst, as one commentator, an outburst of anger. And any attempt to interpret it in terms of an internal emotional upset caused by grief, pain, or sympathy is illegitimate. Jesus, when he's deeply moved, is angry. He sees Mary weeping. He sees those who came with her weeping. He sees the death of a friend, and he's angry. And Jesus became angry in spirit, says another commentator. Another commentator says he was outraged in spirit. And yet another commentator says when John tells us in point of fact is that Jesus approached the grave of Lazarus in a state of not, a, not of uncontrollable grief but of inexpressible anger. True, he did also respond with tears but the emotion which tore his breast and clamored for utterance was just rage. And death strikes us with injustice as well as sorrow. And when you experience death in your life, you know that's an injustice because life was meant to continue. That death is not supposed to be a part of the reality, but sin has brought about death, and that's why we mourn. Because it's not natural. It's a violation of nature. Bruce Millen in his commentary says, in Mary's grief, he sees and feels the misery of the whole race and burns with rage against the oppressor of men. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death... <laughs> and behind death him who has the power of death and whom he had come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but that is incidental. His soul is held by rage. And he advances to the tomb in Calvin's words as a champion who prepares for conflict. And Jesus feeling rage at death and its reality stares the enemy Satan and the consequences of sin, death in the eyes and says, I will have victory over this. Jesus knows the rage and the sadness of death. He knows it personally. But I want to tell you, Christian hope believes that death will die and sadness with it. That one day every tear will be wiped away. One day death will be no more. And so I want to tell you, friend, that gap that it exists between experience and your response to experience is really important what you put in that gap. Because if you, in this life you experience loss and you have faith in that gap, I, I tell you, you have hope. And I have been stricken, I have been stricken during this season from those who experience loss 
and in that gap have expressed faith. And, I, and I've watched as they've put their hope on display. Earlier this year, a dear sister at New City, Kayla, died of COVID. And in fact, we're going to have her funeral on Monday. And Darla, her daughter, has also had her series of tragedies during this season. And I asked Darla, would you, would you share a little bit about your hope this Easter with our New City family? She was kind enough to do so. And I want you to hear Darla's story. Okay, so I'm Darla. My family has been coming to New City since uh, 2017, and we've been going ever since. So when we started hearing the word COVID, it wasn't really something we thought about or worried about. But then once it really began to hit, my mom's assisted living home went into a hard shutdown. So we couldn't go inside and see her anymore. We would uh, draw pictures and hang them out outside so she could see the banner on the wall and all the neighbors that lived there, too. It started on her floor, and a few days later, she began to cough, and her blood sugars got very, very high. The hard thing about as many times as she was in the hospital in her life and the things she went through, um, it, was, it was very hard to be here at the house and for her to be there. And I just, I wanted to touch her hand. I wanted to touch her skin just one more time and I tell her it's okay that she can go home. And I couldn't say those things or do those things. One morning I had that song that says, it says, come home, come home, come all you who are weary, come home. And I was singing that in my head and my brother called and said, it's not long now, not just a few minutes, the nurse said. And, and then she was gone and she went home. And the hard part is she went home alone without us beside her. That's, that's hard to think about. So just two weeks after my mom passed away, I, I went back to work and I was just getting my stuff settled in my office and I saw this flash it, just as a car came through the front of my office. It, went through my desk and through my filing cabinet and pushed me out through a wall behind me. And I was crying out, Jesus, Jesus, help me, Jesus. I was screaming for my mom, screaming and screaming, Mama. And I, I knew she was dead, I, I remembered, but I just cried for her like a child crying out for their mother.
live with chronic pain, you, you, one thing you have is hope. Hope that it's gonna stop hurting. Hope the medicine's gonna work. Hope the doctor can discover what's wrong with you. So seeing my mom go through that and going through that with my own health is knowing that there is hope, that it's not always going to hurt. My mom was actually born the day after Easter. It was her favorite holiday. She loved Easter. I, I kind of see hope a lot like how we look at, at Easter, that spring is here and the hard winter is over, that there was the death and the pain, but now we are rejoicing and we have this beauty to look forward to of being with the Lord. I want you to hear me, church. In Jesus, the ultimate loser is death. And tomorrow, when we celebrate Kayla's life, we're going to be celebrating her eternal life because of Jesus. I want you to see Lazarus is in the tomb Jesus is angry at death. He's angry at the reality of death. He is stricken with sadness of the loss of his friend. And then Jesus deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, Do, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, uh, I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. My friend, Jesus is greater than death. Hear his words. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. We have lots of experiences in this life and there's things that live in that gap. And I want to challenge you to be thinking about the gap. When you experience loss in this life, whatever's in that gap will determine your response. Victor Frankl said, between stimulus and response, there's a space, a gap. In the space, there's the power to choose, our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. And I want you to know that when you experience loss or all the tragedy of death and pain that this world is inflicting on us on a daily basis, if you have faith in the gap, it changes your response. For example, when you experience loss and you have faith in the gap, the response is hope. And I was just stricken by it, sitting with Darla and her family how much faith they had in spite of all the loss and how it manifests itself in hope. 
And if you believe in the resurrection, you believe that Jesus is undoing everything that's undoing you. That's what you believe. But you do have a choice in that gap. You have a choice in the life's experiences. You can put in that gap self-reliance. You can, you can, self-reliance can be in that gap. And if you experience loss and self-reliance is in that gap, let me tell you what this response will be. It'll be anxiety. It'll be full-on freak out. Because anxiety is produced when you believe that you must overcome what only Jesus can overcome. And there's some things in life that you are powerless over, like death itself. But when you have faith in Jesus who overcomes death, I mean, he lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we should have died. He was buried in the grave. He rose again. He conquered sin and death. He did what you could not do. Steve Cuss says, anxiety shrinks the power of the gospel because it presents a false gospel, one of self-reliance rather than reliance on God. The gospel of self-reliance is always bad news because it always leads to more anxiety. But if you can learn to notice it, eventually name its sources and triggers and move past it, (laughs) you might even actually encounter the good news of Jesus, the gospel of grace, which always leads to freedom. So church, when we say He is risen, He is risen indeed, we are proclaiming the total and complete victory of the love of Jesus over death. So it really does matter what's in the gap for you. Between experience and response, it really does matter what's in the gap for you. In 1 Thessalonians 4.13, this is what the Bible says. But we do not want you to be uninformed. Brothers and sisters, listen. About those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. What's in the gap matters. Because when you experience loss in life, if faith is in the gap, hope is the response. Hope is the response. And so I want to know if you can say with me, he is, he is risen, he is risen indeed. Can we say that together? He is risen. He is risen Listen to Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Today might be your day to confess that. And maybe in that gap, there's been a lot of self-reliance and maybe the response has been in your life a lot of anxiety. And I just want you to know, if you want hope today, you can trust in Jesus. If you want hope today, you can put your faith in him.